pray together for the word this morning. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. So Father, we want to thank you for your love that never changes. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the word of truth that sets man free. And I humble myself before you this morning. Now ask you, Holy Spirit, to take every word that you've given to me and anoint it right now. Because without the anointing, it's just empty words. Lord, open up our spiritual eyes and our ears this morning, and I pray that you would give us an understanding of the love of God and that we would truly come to, to know our position in Christ Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you begin to do that work in us even right now. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Can we just give the Lord a great shout of praise before you take your seats? Amen. He is worthy. Can we thank our worship team? Wasn't that an amazing time in the presence of the Lord this morning? I want to thank them for their sensitivity. Amen. So church, this morning I want to bring you a word of encouragement. I believe what I'm going to share with you this morning will encourage you. And the title of my message this morning is A Position Contrary to Your Condition. A Position Contrary to Your Condition. The Lord has been reading, leading Pastor Ronell and I to speak on the love of God for a while now. So as the Lord leads us, this may, this may even lead into a series. But specifically for today, through the Word and the leading of the Holy Spirit, Church, I want us to start to comprehend who we truly are in Christ Jesus because of the love of God. A position contrary to your condition. And I believe that as we begin to identify our position in Him and how much He truly loves us, that will give us the freedom to, to truly overcome the things in our life that keep us bound. So I'd like to start this morning by reading the Word of God in 2 Corinthians chapter number 13, if you want to go there in your Bibles. 2 Corinthians 13, and we'll start reading from verse 11. And this will be our key scripture for the morning. It says, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. Now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Now that church will come back to that scripture shortly and we'll go into, into depth in certain parts of the scripture. But I want to start with a question this morning. How do we begin to describe God's love? How can we truly describe the love of God? Well, in our finite thinking, I think that's going to be quite difficult, but I believe we can start by saying a few words that, that, that can define His love. And I'm going to say a few of these words, and if you agree, you can even shout amen. 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 <laughs> His love is relentless. Amen. It is continuous. It is lasting, it is never-ending, and it is steady. Amen. It is uninterrupted, unabated, unbroken, and unstoppable. Amen. It is unceasing, endless, unrelenting, and unrelieved. Amen. It is sustained, unwavering, unswerving, and undeviating. Amen. 
God's love is persevering, determined, resolute, and it is purposeful. Amen. <laughs> it is not capable of being persuaded by arguments, not capable of being changed. It is uncompromising, and in other words, you'll never be able to knock it off its course. Nothing can diminish or hinder His loving pursuit for both sinner and saint. Church, I really want you to get this this morning. Nothing can hinder Him in His pursuit of love for His people, which is you and me. Amen. David expresses it in this way in Psalm chapter 139, verses 5 to 8. And this is beautiful. He says, You have hedged me behind and before. And laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. And you see, David's talking about his lifestyle here. Because there were some times in his life where he felt very hard. Things were going well. He's feeling good. But he's also talking about having such lows in his life. Like, and it feels like there is, it's hell on earth. He's saying sometimes, well, my condition is, well, you know, I'm feeling good. Everything is, is hunky-dory. But there are other times that I'm so low, I feel unworthy and I feel condemned. And he's talking about literally experiencing a hellish manifestation in his life. And yet, he said, I can't get away from your presence. I can't get away from your love. You're still pursuing me. No matter where I go, no matter how much I've drifted away from you and your, your commands, no matter my human condition, you were still there. I can't chase you away. Thank you, Jesus. You see, church, God wouldn't even accept David's arguments against or why God shouldn't love him. You'll find through the writings of David in the Psalms how he tries to argue with God and he tells God, I'm unworthy. I've sinned against your grace. And the truth is, David sinned incredibly against God's grace. He had godly men that mentored him. He had the Holy Spirit that was ministering to him. He had the Word of God. He said he loved the Word of God. It was a lamp unto his feet. But despite all of this, David sins grievously against God. We know the story. He falls into sin with Bathsheba. And he tries to cover up his sin by eventually killing off her husband by sending him off to a hopeless situation on the battlefield. And God said it was a grievous, evil thing that you've done, David. The scripture said that it displeased the Lord. And God sent the prophet Nathan to him. He said, you have despised the word of the Lord. You have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. In other words, he opened up the door to the enemy. And God disciplined David for his sin. And church, you know, we can be assured that no matter what your past looks like or your experience of the Lord or your walk with God, if you sin against the light, you're going to be disciplined, right? Because whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. And God disciplines David. 
His first baby with Bathsheba dies, and it, and it breaks David's heart. But you see, God never abandoned him. He kept pursuing David with this relentless and unstoppable love. The scripture says that Bathsheba gives birth to a son, and David calls him Solomon. And God loves Solomon. God loves Solomon, and he loves David. God's love was unrelenting, chasing after him, expressing his love at all time, even, calling, even referring to him as a man after his own heart. You see, David found himself in a position contrary to his condition. You find this kind of love all throughout Scripture. You just go to the New Testament and you find Saul of Tarsus. Going crazy um, with the church. Going into the homes of many Christians and, and dragging them off to prison. The Scripture says he was breathing out threats of death against the disciples of the Lord. And he goes to the high priest asking for letters to, to search the countryside for more Christians to, to drag them off to prison or to even kill them. And yet when Saul became the Apostle Paul, he said, even when I was in sin, even when I was a murderer, even when I hated Christ's followers, he still loved me. He still loved me. He found himself in a position contrary to his condition. Here's the scripture. This is what he says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He said, amazing grace, that even when I wasn't aware of it, God was going after me. This relentless love of God kept on pursuing me until it eventually knocked me off my high horse, literally, and changed me. And it was the love of God. Paul testified that God loved him when he was blind. When he was full of racial prejudice and hatred. God's love was even with him when he had murder in his heart. And this transformation inspires Paul to, to write this in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 to 39. Where he says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen? <clears throat> Paul said that he loved me before I was a believer. No, he didn't, he didn't take my sin lightly. Yes, I understood his chastening hand, but he never stopped loving me. He never stopped chasing me down. And Paul said... Now that I'm his, now that I'm his, there is no devil, there is no demon, there is no principality, there is no power, there is no dark force, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There is nothing that can stop God from loving us. Church, please hear what the Spirit of God is saying this morning. Nothing can separate you from his relentless love. But why do, we feel, why do we find that so hard to believe sometimes? You know, when we sin and we feel that we have failed God, we seem to lose the sense of His love. And when something bad happens to us, we say, well, God's angry at me. 
There are problems breaking out all around me in my business, in, in my family, perhaps even in the church. And we say, well, God has stopped loving me because of some failure in my life. I've angered him. He is displeased with me. But you see, church, all these things that are happening around you have nothing to do with God turning against you. You see, we're not, we're not comprehending His love here. We're not understanding that no matter what the trouble, no matter what you're going through, God still pursues. He continues to hunt relentlessly to pursue both sinner and saint. And you know, church, I don't think we can handle what's coming. All the horrors that are now existing in the world and all the things that are ahead of us, you know, in our personal space and out there in the world, I don't think we're going to make it until we are convinced that God loves us. I mean, how can you make it if you feel that you have to love, live under the sense that God is always angry at you? And that somehow God doesn't love you because you're unworthy or you're unfaithful and, and that you're still living in some sin. And there's no ways that, that God can love me. There's no ways that a holy and just God can love me the way that I am. And church, you know, if you have to, be, to live under that type of belief system, you'll never make it. It'll tear you down. It'll lead, lead to a nervous breakdown. It'll lead to insanity. The thing that'll keep us with hope and joy in our hearts in this times is that we are convinced that God loves me. God loves me. Our key scripture this morning, 2 Corinthians 13, specifically verse 14, is a prayer that sums up everything that Paul is trying to teach about the love of God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. He said there are three things I want you to understand. He says, I want you to understand it and let it be with you now and forever. He says, get it in your head Get it in your heart and you will never again question the love of God. You see, church, this, this one verse comes with three divine issues. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to go a bit deeper into the meaning of that today. But let's start with grace. Just what is grace? The scripture tells us in Titus chapter number 2, verse 11 to 12, For the grace of God hath appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to the intent that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live sober, soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. But how do I reach this place? That says that the Holy Spirit is going to teach me how to deny myself of all ungodliness and worldly lust. What is that teaching? Holy Spirit, you're my teacher. Help me to understand this foundational truth. What is it? You're saying that if I have grace, if I understand the grace of God, this is going to teach me how to live a holy and godly life? I want to live like that, Holy Spirit. What is the foundation of grace? Romans chapter 8, church, will tell us. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, 
that you through his poverty might become rich. He said, you want to know the grace of God? You want to know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? He said he gave up his riches. He became poor so that you and I may become rich. Amen? And church, we're not talking about material riches here. Paul speaks of the riches of his glory, the riches of his wisdom, and the riches of his grace. And the unsearchable riches of God in Christ Jesus. True riches against the deceitfulness of the riches of this world. Rich in good works, rich in faith, rich in mercy, and rich in love. And what Paul is essentially saying is Jesus came to bless, he came to edify, and to to build up others at his own expense. He came to manifest the, the very character of God. Jesus didn't come to magnify or glorify himself as a human being. Right through Scripture, we know the story. He surrendered the the privilege of being God and took on humanly form so that his death could cover us with grace. He gave up every opportunity to pray down blessings upon himself at the expense of others. Christ didn't come to glory in his achievements in his ability or his power. He came to build up the body. He came to deny himself so that you and I could be edified. Even with his disciples, Jesus would say, you're going to do far more than me. He said, when I'm gone, greater works than these you're going to do. You see, he was already rejoicing in the greater works that his subordinates would experience. I don't know about you, but I want to experience that type of grace in my life. The grace of God. This unrelenting love of God in Christ, church, is preferring others above yourself. Romans chapter 12 verse 9 tells us, or says to us, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. This is the type of grace that Jesus came to model. Now what's interesting is you find very little kind of this grace in 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians. Read the book and and you'll know what I mean. Instead you find competitiveness in the things of God. You find men glorying in spiritual riches. A church full of self-exaltation. You have found Christians pushing for position. It's all there. They're going to court and and suing one another. Even at the the communion table, they're strutting around with their, their pride and their arrogance, bringing all sorts of exotic foods to the table, Um, being arrogant about it and not being concerned about the poor that are around them that had nothing. And this was all contrary to the grace that that Paul was preaching. And 1 Corinthians is stamped with this immense I, me, myself, what I can get, not what I can give. But you see, God knew their hearts. He knew it all too well. He knew the immense amount of sin that was going on in the church. And in fact, even today, when you talk about carnality, you immediately think about the church at Corinth, right? 
But in spite of that, church, in spite of all of that, with amazing grace, the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to open up his greeting to these people, the self-same people. He greets them in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, as those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints. Incredible, right? Can you imagine when that letter was read out to the, the people in the church? These were people in fornication and on all types of sin. They're taking each other to court, suing one another. All this individualism and, and self-exaltation. And here Paul comes along and he writes to the church, and God's church, Christ's church, sanctified. Sanctified? Called to be saints? But you see, Paul is under divine inspiration here. Is God okay with their sin? No, he's not okay with their sin. But God knows they have no resources to fight this sin because of their carnality. They're not in a position. They're not understanding the love of God. And church, the love of God on its own is unmerited. It's this unconditional love that Paul comes to these people and he says, you're still my children. I call you sanctified. I call you saints. What's important to note, church, is that God is not agreeing or God is not okay with their sin. He's securing His people. He is securing His people. You see, there has to be a position contrary to your condition. You know, church, in other words, if God just judged you and I on our condition, we'd be saved the one day and we'd be unsaved the next day. We'd be saved ten times a day and we'd backslide ten times a day, right? You see, you can't understand this until you understand the word position. My position in Christ. Now, you know, my position right now or my condition right now may be that I'm still struggling. It may be that I'm still, I'm still fighting and I'm still trusting. I'm not where I thought I would be. There's still weakness and, and frailty in my flesh. But you know, I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust in His covenant promises and He has seated me in heavenly places with Christ. Come on. Yes, let's give the Lord a shout of praise for that. He seated me in heavenly places. That's my position. And God says, I don't look at your condition. I look at your position in Christ Jesus. Your position. He says, you've, you've accepted the, the Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now I want you secure. And I want you to live without that fear that says that I don't love you. And that I've given up on you. And you know, church, once we firmly grasp this truth, you come finally to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. That says, But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom of God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Praise God. Now He set me free from my fears and my bondage, and He tells me He still loves me for this reason. That I can now claim His righteousness, His holiness, and His purity in my heart. He has secured me in His grace. 
Church, that doesn't mean that we have eternal security. Hear what I'm saying this morning. Because you can absolutely turn away from the love of God and, and reject it until your heart gets hard. Until your heart grows cold and you, the love of God cannot penetrate the walls that you have erected yourself. Because of this rejection. That's why we need to identify our position in Him and truly understand what this type of grace is. This amazing grace. The second issue Paul speaks of in our key scripture is the love of God. Now in 1 Corinthians, grace is needed because of their failure. But in 2 Corinthians, you find that the focus is now on the love of God. And this, the book of 2 Corinthians proves that the love of God, this relentless love of God, is the power to change. It is the power to change us. Not the power to condemn, but the power to change. Church, what did Jesus say, say to us? He said he didn't come to condemn. John chapter 12, verse 47, he said, I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And it made me think sometimes, you know, when I was preparing this message, how many of us walk around feeling judged and condemned? Thinking that we've done something that, that has separated us from the love of God and acceptance with God. If that is the case, we have lent our ears to the lies of the enemy. And we're going to break that this morning. Amen? Amen? 1 Corinthians, church, you find a powerful truth about God's unrelenting love. And it begins in verse 4. This is what it says. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity. But rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. And endures all things. Now that's some definition of the love of God, right? And most of us look at that and say, well, that's what God expects of me. Yes, that's true, but that, first of all, is an absolute declaration of what the love of God is. God is not easily provoked. He's not envious. He's not arrogant. He does not rejoice in our sins. He grieves over them. All of these attributes, church, and eventually it goes on to say in verse 8, love never fails. It never fails. Our love for God might fail. But His love for us is never failing. It's unrelenting. It keeps coming and pursuing and pursuing. It's unconditional. That's what I'm talking about this morning. This unconditional love. And it's that type of love that's going to withstand all of our failures, church. Is that type of love that's going to withstand all of our failures if we just turn to Him in our failure. Amen. And accept His love. Church, receiving His love, receiving God's love, releases the power of God into our lives. God's love is a power that He gives us, and the revelation of this power He gives us is to change the inner work of the Holy Spirit to change us. 
And it's a revelation of the love of God. I know that I can pray about my sins and I can trust God because I love Him. And He doesn't remove me from my position in Him, no matter what I've done. It's the love, this amazing grace, this amazing, amazing love that is the power to change. You know, we just have to look at how it changes Paul even himself. In 1 Corinthians, Paul had every reason to give up on the Corinthian church. He had every reason to give up on his people. He could have started his letter like this. He could have said, Dear Corinthians, I wash my hands of you. You're a disgraceful, irredeemable people. He says, the more I love you, the less you love me. You hate me and all I've done is, is, is pour my life and my soul into you. I leave you to your own devices. Go ahead, work it out. My work's done here. Amen. He had every right and reason to, to, to believe that. But you see, church, Paul had been apprehended by the love of God. He was transformed by this love. He said, how can I not love these people? How can I not love these people when, when God loved me when I was persecuting and murdering His church? How can I not love Him? How could I do that? And even in Scripture, when Paul says that, that he, you should turn someone over to the destruction of their flesh, he said he did it with, with much anguish and many tears. In 2 Corinthians chapter. 2 verse 4 he says for out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears not that you should be grieved but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you you see Paul preached the victory Paul preached the victory of the love of God and these carnal people melted under that message Can you just imagine when that letter was read out to the church and they were looking at each other saying, here's a man that wants to sue me and he looks at him and says, a saint? How can that be? He's not a saint. And everyone looks at the fornicate and says, a saint? No, 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 we've got we've to throw him out, right? But you see, Paul had experienced the love of God. And you know, church, you know what this kind of preaching did to these people? It absolutely melted and it changed their hearts. The love of God made their hearts pliable again to transform them and to change them. Church, as I told you earlier, the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit within us is the power to change. And this is what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 to 10. It says, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world leads to death. Or produces death. Paul says that you've cleared yourself. You became careful. You became outraged at your, your past sins. 
And you put God's true love and, and fear in your heart again. You were filled with zeal. You were vindicated yourself. And in all things, you proved yourself clear and clean before God. And you see this, this, this I is gone. This, this me of myself and self-exaltation is now gone that was so apparent in the first book of Corinthians. And you know, church, what's really amazing? Immediately after this, the Bible says that they began to get a vision of those that were in famine. And they began to give. They began to give up, collect offerings, and they not only gave their money, but they, they first of all gave themselves. They started giving because they were transformed by this amazing love. And finally, Paul speaks of the communion of the Holy Spirit. The word communion there in Greek is the word fellowship. So it's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now church, the deepest work of the Holy Spirit is to establish fellowship and unity in the body of Christ. The greatest work of the Holy Spirit has very little to do with spiritual gifts. Those are great works, they are spiritual, they are absolutely necessary, but the greatest and the hardest work of the Holy Spirit is to, to unite the body of Christ, as Jesus said, to be one. I think the Holy Spirit has a big enough job, a big enough of a job getting two Christians together, let alone a whole church, right? <laughs> but that's why Paul ties this, this issue of fellowship together with the two other issues. He says, if you're going to understand the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're going to understand the love of God, it has to bring you together. It's got to bring you together. And church, I'll tell you what brings the body together. is where there's no jealousy. Or nobody has been easily provoked by one another. Or everybody's rejoicing in the blessings of someone else. When someone else is succeeding in life, whether it's in their business or their family is being blessed, or someone's doing well in the ministry, that you're actually happy for that person. Amen? Amen. And all the other things that we've been speaking today, about today that, that refers to the love of God. You're not comparing yourself to anybody else. You're just anxious to get involved. Paul said they not only gave material things, they first of all gave themselves. And church, as I close this morning, if the worship team could come up, we come here to, to praise and to worship God. We come to give up our tithes and offerings. But church, have you understood that God wants you to give yourself one to another? At church, we're just beginning to see that more and more in our church, how God is making, he's making a body. Right? He's bringing people together of all races, all colors, different backgrounds, different life experiences, different perspectives. But you know what? Bringing us all down to one blood, to one culture, to one covenant. Amen? Amen. Church, I want to encourage you this morning as I close. If you're here this morning, you may have come here this morning not really believing in your heart that God still loves you. 
because of some failure, because of some sin, or perhaps because you've, you've drifted away from God. Whatever it may be, you've come in here and you're not sure that, that, that God loves you. I want to encourage you this morning to come and take your position in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit has been called the hound of heaven. Which means God is pursuing you. He's chasing you down. And God wants you to come to the realization that whatever you've done, whatever you've broken, or whatever you've destroyed in your life, church, He wants you to know that He still loves you. He wants you to know that He still loves you and He continues to relentlessly pursue you and hunt you down. He says, you're still mine. You're still mine. And because you're mine, let me change you. Let me bring you back into the fullness. If you'll just believe my promises. He says, don't harden your heart. Let my spirit bring your condition to match your position. Amen. Can we just give God all the glory for His word this morning, church?